I want to uh, welcome you once again to Providence Road. If you are uh, a guest with us this morning, it's, it's so good to have you here. Uh, is, is this sounding okay? Is there a little echo? Clark, is there an echo? A little bit. A little bit? They'll fix it in a moment. Uh, hey, I just want to welcome you. If you're a guest, uh, we are grateful and thankful that you are uh, here with us this morning. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you are a guest, uh, we are uh, back in our series on the book of Romans. And so we have been uh, in Romans for, it feels like, about five years. Uh, We're coming towards the end of that. Uh, We took a short break, but now we're back in it. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7 this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's one maybe under your seat or the seat next to you. Uh, The verses will eventually be on the screen as well. Uh, But I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 7. So let's, uh, let's read these verses together. God's word says this, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, first and foremost, I want to thank you this morning that you have given us your word, the Bible. You spoke all of creation into existence before nothing existed, and you still speak to us this morning on October 29th, 2017. Father, help us to not take this for granted. Instead, you would grant us the desire this morning to hear your encouraging and hope-filled voice. Father, grant us ears to hear. And Father, grant us eyes to see your glory that you have revealed to us in your word. For whether we know it or not this morning, seeing and treasuring And finding pleasure in your glory is what our souls so desperately need. Because by seeing your glory, we'll become the people that you are calling us to be. A people who do not seek to please ourselves, but a people who takes great joy in pleasing our neighbor. So Father, grant us the grace to see and become a people who are zealous for your glory, to to be a people who display your glory by not pleasing ourselves, but pleasing our neighbor for their good, for our joy, and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I got a a text. a while ago, and uh, it was a text from a person asking me if I could uh, meet with them to kind of talk through some things that they had been uh, struggling with. 
And so I agreed to, to meet with them. And as I sat and I listened to their story, and as I, as I began to listen to what they were struggling with, one thing came, became very, very, very clear to me as I was sitting there listening. What we believe about God has a significant impact on how we live our lives, both for the positive and the negative. So in other words, what we believe to be true about who God is and all that he has done for us in Christ and all of the future promises that he makes to us is the most important thing for us as Christians. Because this person was going through all of this struggle and experiencing this, and all of this was due to a misunderstanding of the true character and nature of God. So they had formed this understanding of who God is in their minds apart from how God has revealed himself to them and to me and to you in the scriptures in the Bible. And the result was fear. Gripping fear overwhelming fear that because this person had failed to keep the promises that they made to God, that God was somehow going to punish them to teach them a lesson. And so as I sat there and listened, I began to uh, process and I began to, to remind them of all the promises that God has made to them in Christ. What, what Christ had done to take the punishment for them so they would be forever free from taking that and tasting that punishment. I begin to remind them of, of who God is and, and all the future promises that he makes to them as a result of being in Christ. I began to encourage them and so that they would endure and find hope and the true nature and character of God. And so after we were done, they were encouraged and they found hope. And all the promises that God had made to them, all the promises that God's promises to do for them, they found hope and encouragement in the true character and nature of God that he's revealed to himself, to us in his word. Guys, this is just one example among many that we all experience and taste every single day of our lives. What we believe to be true about who God is and what he has done and the promises he makes to us as a result of Christ affects every Every single thing in our lives. In our passage this morning, Paul is continuing this theme that he started back in chapter 14, this theme of unity. How do we as a church, how do we as a people made up of, of so many diverse opinions and, and diverse people and, and different, uh, different preferences and different convictions, how do we live together in harmony and unity when those preferences and those convictions come in contact or conflict with each other? How do we lay aside our rights and our freedoms to build each other up within the body of Christ, to build our brothers and sisters in Christ and not to tear them down? How do we become a people, as Paul is calling us to in verses 1 and 2, how do we become a people who do not seek to please ourselves, but we seek to please our brothers and sisters for their good to build them up? It's not easy, is it? In fact, in many ways, this call to not please ourselves, but to please our neighbor is countercultural. 
And it's, and it's the exact opposite of what our nature, our human nature is bent to. Instead of being um, others focused, the natural tendency within our heart and our soul is to be what? It is to be self-focused. And everything in our culture and everything deep within our souls is calling us to become a person who actually seeks to please ourselves and to choose what we think is right above everything else at the expense of our brothers and sisters. So, what we're going to see this morning, Paul points us to, he points us to theology. He points us to who God is. He points us to what he has done in Christ. And he, and he, and he points us to the future promises that God makes to us to enable us to become, become a, a people and for you to become a person who does not seek to please yourself, but seeks to please your neighbor for their good and to build them up. So this is the overarching question that we're going to look at this morning. It's this, how do we become this person? How do we become uh, this type of person? How do we become this type of people who seeks not to please ourselves, who seeks not to pursue our own self-interests, but we consider the interests of others more important than ourselves? So in other words, how do we become a people who display a Christ-like character by the way in which we reflect Christ for His glory by the way in which we seek not to please ourselves, but please our neighbor. So this is where we're going. And Paul lays it out very, very clear. He gives us a few things that we can look at to help us to become this type of person and this type of people. So the first thing that Paul does is this. He draws our attention to Christ. Look at verse 3. He says, for Christ did not please himself. So the call is don't, don't please yourself, but please your neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. So listen, if you long to be a person, if we want to be a people that scripture is calling us to be, to not look to our own self-interest, but look to the interests of others and put their interests before ours, that we must continually look at Christ. We must continually keep our eyes on Jesus. Listen to what Paul tells the church in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says this. He says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image, one degree of glory to another. You see, as we draw our attention to Christ, as we keep our eyes on Jesus, as we see Him in all of His magnificent beauty and who He is and His character and nature, when we see Him, we become like him. So the application for us this morning is simple, but so significant. Are you giving yourself to think about, to dwell upon, to behold the glory of Christ? As you wake up in the morning, do you think about Christ? As you drive in your car to go to work, do you think about the character and nature of Christ? As you walk to class, do you think about all that he is for you and all that he's done for you? As you feed your little ones breakfast in the morning, are you listening to music that, that talks about and sings about the true character and nature and promises and all that God has done for us as we did this morning to sing the truths and the promises of who Christ is? Do you see him? And when you see him and when you think about him, do you see him as the one who came not to please himself or to serve himself? 
When you look at Jesus, do you see the most beautiful picture of the ultimate act of self-denial? For scripture tells us the son of man, the son of God came into this world not to serve himself, not to do his own will, but to do the will of his father and to do it perfectly. And what was the will of the father? Jesus tells us in John 6, 37, he says this, it's going to be on the screen. He says, all that the father has given to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's some good news right there, isn't it? For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Listen, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father. That everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus came into this world and he denied himself to save all whom the father had given to him. So he came and he denied himself so that right now, this morning, all of us who look to the Son, who look to Jesus and believe upon him, we have eternal life right now and we have the future promise that one day we will be raised from the dead. Good news, isn't it? Christ Jesus came not to please himself, but to lay his life down. Why? For your eternal good and to do the will of the Father. And so listen closely. Jesus' self-denial isn't just an example for us to follow. Though it is. We are to become like Christ and we are to serve as he has served us. We are to become like Christ and do the will of the Father. But it's so much more than Jesus' self-denial just being our example to follow because His self-denial actually saved us. Here Paul quotes Psalm 69, which is an Old Testament prophecy telling us of this righteous man, this perfect man, Jesus Christ, who would come and take on all of our approaches. So what does that mean? It means this, that Jesus will come and will take upon himself all of our faults and all of our failures. So even though he was never, ever, ever in the wrong, he would come and he would be blamed for all the times that you have been indifferent to God, that I have been indifferent to God, and we have belittled the glory of God. And so he would become and blamed for all the things that we rightly deserve, which is ultimately death, and we would receive what he deserved, which is eternal life. And so he came upon us, or he came to this world, denied himself, and through his self-denial, we are now free as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are now free to love and serve our neighbors with no strings attached. Because listen, if... Jesus' ultimate act of self-denial is just our example to follow. If all that Jesus did was come and set the standard for us, that wouldn't be very good news, would it? Because he set the perfect standard. And so if the call for us is just to simply uh, follow that example and try to live up to that standard, then we need to deny ourselves this morning and every moment of our lives in order to get something from God, namely his acceptance of us. But that's not how the gospel works. That's actually how the world works, right? The world tells us that we serve in order to what? To get something in return. 
The world tells us that it's better to receive than to give. But because we have received everything that we need through the ultimate act of self-denial through this person named Jesus Christ, therefore, we are free. We are free to deny ourselves and give ourselves away to please our neighbor and not ourselves for no other reason just is simply to please them and serve them. When I was in college, I worked at this grocery store and I met this elderly lady uh, who was really, really kind, and she needed some help around her house. And so I was really, really eager uh, to help her. So one Saturday, I went over and I mowed her yard. A couple days later, she called me and asked me if I could come back and serve and, and uh, mow her yard. And I was, I was eager to help, but those calls kept on coming, and I became less eager to help. I even found myself uh, letting her uh, calls go to voicemail and not calling her back. I know that's absolutely terrible. And I felt horrible. So uh, I went back over and uh, I helped her one Saturday. And I was, uh, as I was mowing the yard, uh, I began to confess my selfishness to the father. And it wasn't audible, but the father began to speak to me. And he said this, he says, you are loving her to try and get me to love you. You are serving her to get me to accept you. You are trying to earn, by serving her, you're trying to earn my acceptance and love, but you are already accepted and loved in my son. Loving her will not increase my love and acceptance for you. You are free to displease me and serve her with no strings attached. Why? Because you are attached to my son in whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And from this, from the father's voice, it drew my attention away from myself because the whole time I just was focused on myself and trying to do these things in order for God to love me and accept me. And he reminded me of Christ and, and my identity in him that I'm loved and accepted in him. And as a result of this, my joy to serve her returned and my, and my joy just to please the father, just simply uh, to please him returned to. Listen, do you want to become a person who denies yourself and, and to, to seek the interests of others and to please others and not yourself? Then the answer is this, behold the glory of Christ. Look at Christ and become like him and joyfully, joyfully, joyfully serve others just simply to serve them as Christ is calling us to do. As he served you and me for our eternal good, we in turn serve our neighbor and brothers and sisters with no strings attached. That's the first thing. The second is this. The second thing that Paul kind of gives us to help us to become a person who does not please ourselves, but our neighbor is found in the promises of scripture. So it's the promises of scripture. Look at verse four. For whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So guys, what is the purpose of the Bible? Why should we spend time reading the scriptures? The answer is clear from this text. God has given us uh, his word, the Bible, the scriptures, both Old and New Testament to give us instruction and endurance and encouragement, which ultimately leads to hope. Listen, do you need to endure in life to follow Jesus? 
Do you need encouragement this morning? Not to please yourself, but please your neighbor. Do you need to know how you're actually able to do this? So where do we find the instruction and the encouragement and the endurance to lay down our own self-interest to serve our brothers and sisters for their good to build them up? The answer is God's word, the Bible, the scriptures. Guys, let us not forget that God has spoken to us. Let us not forget that God still speaks to us today. And how does he primarily speak to us? He speaks to us through his word. And he wants to instruct us this morning. He wants to encourage us this morning. He wants to to encourage us that we would endure in this life, to be a people that he is calling us to be, to display his glory and his greatness by the way in which we love and serve our neighbor. And he does this through the promises that he's given to us in his word. Think about this for a moment. How did Jesus endure the reproaches that fell on him? I mean, how was he able to make the greatest act of self-denial? I mean, as Jesus was sweating drops of blood in the garden and knowing what it was about to face, how was he able to say, Father, not my will. I mean, I want this cup to be taken from me. If there's any way to take this cup from me, do it. But enabling, ultimately, he said, Father, not my will, not my will, but your will be done. I mean, how was he able to endure not only the physical suffering of the cross, but the grief and pain of being separated from his Father to pay for what we deserved? And why did he not send a legion of his angel army to destroy the world for the sin that he was about to bear? It was hope. It was the promises of the Father made to the Son that enable him to endure the ultimate act of self-denial. Listen to Hebrews 12 too. It says this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and author of our faith, who... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So in the midst, guys, of the most physical and the most spiritual pain, Jesus knew that something good was coming. That at the end of his suffering, that as a result of his ultimate act of self-denial, he would receive the promise of the Father, that he would be glorified, that he would be exalted, and at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all. As he was thinking about the cross and what kept him on the cross is that he knew as a result of this suffering that he would hold the keys to an eternal kingdom filled with men, women, children in this building from all nations, tongues, and tribes that he would purchase through his act of self-denial for the joy of having you as his own, for the hope of reigning over all kings and reigning over all kingdoms. Jesus endured the cross. And this, my friends, is how we too endure the crosses that Jesus calls to us and places upon us in order for us to follow him and not please ourselves, but please our neighbor. It's hope. It's the future promises that God makes to us in his scriptures. Listen to this encouragement that Paul gives the church in a city called Colossae, Colossians chapter 1. He says, we always uh, thank God, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 
Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that's laid out for you in heaven. So listen very carefully. It was their love for, uh, for one another that's directly tied to the hope that was laid out for, for them in heaven. So let us not forget what Paul is trying to accomplish in chapter 14 and 15. He's trying to accomplish unity. He's trying to accomplish uh, us considering the, the needs of others more important than ourselves. He's trying to accomplish harmony within a diverse group of people with so many different preferences and opinions and convictions. And what is going to help us become this person and this people? The answer is the hope that Sunday's coming. The hope that for all of us who are in Christ, that we will be together forever. A day is coming, my friends. Well, we will be together in the presence of the one that we long for. God promises this to us. He promises us in his word, the scriptures, that he's coming back for us. And then when he comes back, he's going to restore and reign over all things. And when this day comes, do you think there will be any disunity in heaven? Will there be any divisions among us because of our own self-interests? Will there be fighting and quarreling and hurt feelings among us due to our differences and our love of self? Will there be any more desire within us to try to justify ourselves by always having to be right? The answer is no. There will be perfect harmony between us, God's people. There'll be no more self-interest. There will only be others' interest. There'll be no more divisions due to our love of self and our, our love of, of to be right and our love of our own convictions and opinions and preferences. There'll be no more desire within us uh, to trample other people because of our love to always be right. We will sit beside each other, guys. Picture this. We will sit beside each other at the wedding feast and in one accord we will celebrate the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and all of our self-interest will be washed away and our attention will 100% be focused on the bridegroom Jesus Christ who sacrificed everything he sacrificed everything 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 to unite us to himself and to unite us together and we're finally going to be free we're finally going to be free to fully and perfectly please our neighbor and not ourselves guys this is the hope that's coming this is the the, the, the promise of the Father that's coming to us. So in light of this, in light of the hope that we have, in light of this joy that is set before us, let us today become this people. Let us become today the people that we will one day ultimately become. So let us endure in pleasing others. Let us inconvenience ourselves today for the good of others. Let us be okay. Not showing or having to be right all the time. Why? Because one day soon, our hope is that we will be in perfect harmony and fellowship with one another. This is our hope, guys, as Christians. And let this encourage us 
to be the people that we will one day become, a people who seek harmony, a people who seek unity, a people who lay aside our own rights and our own freedoms and our own convictions and our own preferences and our own opinions. Why? To serve and love our neighbor. Imagine the day when Jesus returns. And imagine a feast where we all be gathered around the table celebrating our King and Savior. Who will you be sitting next to? You'll be sitting next to or you'll be sitting across from each other. Those right now that you may have something against. Someone you may not like because of differing opinions and preferences and convictions. Someone who may have hurt you or someone you may have hurt because of your own and their own self-interest. Can you picture these people? I can. Being a pastor is not easy. So many preferences. So many opinions. But in light of what is coming, no matter our differences today, guys, no matter our disagreements tomorrow, no matter what they have done to tear me down, they are my brother and sister in Christ, and I will be with them in heaven in the presence of our Heavenly Father, celebrating all that God has done for us to to love us and save us. This is my hope. This is your hope. So I want to sit beside you today. I want to lay down my rights. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to please myself. I don't want to always have to be right. Instead, I want to deny my own opinions. I want to deny my own preferences. I want to deny my own self-interest to love you and serve you and be for you and to be for your good and to build you up, not tear you down. I want to be patient and understanding because in the light of who we one day will be, in light of the people that we will one day become, does it really matter what I prefer today? Does it matter what you prefer? Does it, does it matter if I'm always right? Does it matter if you're right? Is it worth causing disunity for? Is it worth fighting? Is it worth always having uh, to be right in order to cause these divisions among us and, and, to, and, and to, to separate us and cause disunity and not pursue harmony? No, it's not. Why? Because we have something better. We have something worth fighting for. We have something that's coming, something we're laying aside our rights and our opinions and preferences to serve each other and to build each other up because one day, one day soon will come this, this experience of us as God's people that will be in perfect unity and harmony with one another and our own self-interest will finally be washed away. So this is the, the call that God is placing upon our lives. Let us endure Let us listen to the instruction that God places upon us right now this morning to endure to be a people who did not please ourselves, but we seek to please one another. And it's this hope which leads us to the last thing that Paul says. That we reciprocate what we have received. So because 
of who Christ is. We, we serve as he has served us. And because of what Christ has done, we have this future promise of becoming a people in his presence that we will be in perfect harmony and fellowship with one another. Therefore, verse 7, we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Paul is saying very clearly that we reciprocate what we have received. We accept each other's differences as Christ has accepted us. Think about this for a moment. How did Christ welcome and accept you if you were in Christ? Were you worthy of his acceptance? Were you the best candidate of his acceptance? Did he place any demands on you in order to welcome you? No. Christ first called you to himself even when you were indifferent and even when you were rebellious towards him. And he accepted us when we were so unacceptable. There was nothing within us worthy of acceptance. The only thing that we brought to the table was our anger and our rebellion and our indifference to God and his glory. And he had every right to push us aside. He had every right for us to be separated from him. We have had every right to destroy us as a result of not treasuring his glory above everything else in our lives. But how did he receive us? Reluctantly? Amazingly, no. He lovingly accepted us and welcomed us and met us in spite of our differences, in spite of our flaws. Guys, look around you. In this church, we are made up of such a diverse group of people. In our church, we have married people and we have divorced people. We have families who are content having a, having a, a ton of kids fill their homes and families who are content having no kids. We have singles who long to be married and singles who are content not to marry. We have stay-at-home moms. We have working moms. We have uh, Democrats, Republicans, and those who give a rib about to politics. We have, we have those whose closets look like they are sales reps for Remington and those who have no idea what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Remington is a manufacturer of guns. We have, uh, we have public schoolers. We have... Um, Homeschoolers, we have those who drink alcohol and those who think the only sin about alcohol is drinking light beer. Did you catch that? <laughs> we are a diverse group of people with different opinions, different perspectives on life. And when these perspectives and these opinions, when they come in conflict within the church, what is our response? Do we respond like the world responds? Do we, step number one, do we debate them into thinking why your view is right and their view is wrong? And if that doesn't work, step number two, do we bully and shame them into giving up their personal convictions? And if that doesn't work, step number three, do we go to Facebook and, and Twitter and go after the wife and kids and second cousins? And if that doesn't work, or if you're not into social media, do we leave the relationship? Do we leave the church because of our different preferences and opinions? Is this the, is this the picture that the church is supposed to paint? And more importantly, is this the actual picture that we are painting for the world to see? Or are we painting a different and better picture? 
Are we painting a picture the world desperately needs to see? A picture that displays the gospel? A picture that displays the glory of Christ? A picture where we welcome each other despite our differences? A picture where we accept each other in spite of our flaws. A picture where the good of others is more important than, the good, than our own good and our own self-interest. A picture where we treat each other as Christ has treated us. Listen closely. The way that you can understand, or the way that you know how much you understand the gospel of God's grace and acceptance and welcome of you in Christ is to look at how you love and accept people in spite of their flaws and their differing opinions. Because listen carefully, if you tasted and you've received God's welcome and acceptance of Christ and we don't reciprocate it, what are we saying? We are saying that we are more righteous than God. Have you received God's grace in Christ? Have you received and experienced his unconditional acceptance and welcome of you in spite of all your shortcomings and your sin and your rebellion and your flaws? Have you tasted his amazing love with which he has loved you before the foundation of the world in spite of nothing good within you? If you have, if you've experienced this, then how can you not display it? If you've tasted his welcome and grace in Christ, if you've experienced it, then we have an obligation. We're obligated to reciprocate what we have received. So we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Now let me say this so that I won't be misunderstood. As Jeremy said last week, I'm not saying that we accept each other in regards to sin issues. Paul's not dealing with sin issues. In chapter 14 and 15, God is never glorified when sin is tolerated. But what he is saying is this. God is glorified, guys. He is seen as great. He is seen as beautiful, his, his glory is displayed when the church, his people, you and me, in all of our diversity, we forgo our rights and our opinions and our preferences for the sake of building up and for the good of our brothers and sisters. And the world desperately needs to see this. Why? Because the glory of God is at stake. That's what he says in verse 7. Look at it at the very end. We welcome, why? For the glory of God. Do you love the glory of God? In other words, do you want others to see the greatness of who God is? Do you want to have others experience and taste the welcome and the acceptance and, and, and the freedom, and the joy, and the eternal life that you have received in Christ and the gospel? You want others to receive the hope and the future promises that we have in Christ, then the instruction this morning for us to endure the encouragement that God gives us this morning to become this type of people who welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory and the fame and the greatness of God. That is our goal. That's the aim. That's the aim of not pleasing ourselves. The aim and the goal is not for us just to be kind people. The aim and the goal is to display the greatness of God by the way in which we don't please ourselves, but please each other. Because listen very carefully, when, when, when we consider others more important than ourselves, 
It's worship. When we look not to our own self-interest, but the interests of others, it's worship. And the Father is glorified. But listen very carefully. When we tear each other down because of our own preferences and desire to be right and desire to please ourselves, this does not glorify the Father. And it doesn't please the Father. I don't know about you, but I want to please the Father. I want to display the greatness of who God is by the way in which we love and please, not ourselves, but one another. And here's the good news, guys. What God commands, he gives the necessary grace to complete the task by glorifying him and not pleasing ourselves. Look at verse five. Paul breaks off in this prayer. And he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another and accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, God loves his glory. If you didn't know this, he loves his glory more than he loves you. He loves his glory more than he loves anything else. But if you didn't know this as well, he made you, he made me, he made all of creation to know his glory, to treasure his glory, and to find our pleasure in his glory. And so the way in which we become a people who do not seek to to please ourselves, but please our neighbor for his glory is to love his glory too. And the way we do this is through prayer. As we pray, one of the purposes of prayer is that we pray in order to align our desires and our will with his. So this is how we pray. God, do this. God, make us a people who do not please ourselves, but please each other for your glory. God, grant us this for your glory. God, grant us the ability through your spirit living within us to deny ourselves. Why? To display your greatness. God, grant us the grace to keep our eyes on Jesus. Grant us the grace to see him in all of his magnificent splendor and and beauty that we may become like him. God, grant us Ephesians 1. Grant us the, 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 the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Why? So that we may see your glory. And Father, grant us the ability as we see your glory to love your glory more than our own comforts, more than OU football, more than our, than, our, than, our, than our spouses and our kids. Because we know that when we see your glory, we will become like you and we'll become a people who display your greatness by the way in which we serve and love each other for their eternal good as you have served and loved us. Do this, Father. Do this. Do this to display your glory. Is this how we pray? Is this how you pray? If not, let the scriptures instruct us how to pray so that our prayers will be less about ourselves and our own needs and our own desires and our own wants to make us more comfortable in this life. But instead, our prayers will become so God-centered and Christ-centered and others-centered. Why? For the glory and the greatness of God. (coughs) Brothers and sisters, I want to close with this. Listen very carefully. The glory of God is at stake 
by the way in which we love, by the way in which we serve, by the way in which we please, not ourselves, but each other. His glory is at stake, and his glory is not something to be taken lightly. The trampling and the belittling of his glory is what cost Jesus his life. So for the, for the, for the greatness of God in the city, for his fame, for his glory, do you long then to be a people who display his glory by the way in which we seek not to please ourselves, but each other? You long for this? You thirst for this? Then keep your eyes on Jesus. Behold his glory. See him in his magnificent beauty and splendor. See him as the one who came not to serve himself, but to serve you for your eternal good. And in turn, let that help you serve others and keep your eyes on this future grace that's coming, this hope that's coming. Sunday is coming. He is going to return. He's coming back for us and will finally be the people that he's calling us to be the people today. And may we become a people who think much and praise much of the glory and greatness of God. May the God of endurance encourage us and grant us to live in harmony with one another in accord with one, uh, one, with one voice in Christ Jesus. Together with one voice, Providence Road, we may become a people who glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your word, revealing yourself to us in your word, revealing to us instruction of how we are to become a people that you're calling us to be, a beautiful picture, a beautiful people that displays your beauty by the way in which we love and serve and not please ourselves, but please each other. And we know, Father, this pleasing is not uh, pleasing in the sense of getting approval from others. That's not what you're calling us to do. You're calling us to lay aside our own self-interest and our rights, to not tear each other down, but to love and serve and build each other up and to be for each other's good. And so we see this beautiful picture of you, Jesus, and the way in which you've come and the way in which you have served us, the way in which you have loved us, the way in which you laid aside your own rights and humbled yourself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? To do the will of your Father and purchasing a people for yourself who will love you and worship you and praise you and celebrate you for eternity. We thank you for the way in which you have pursued us and loved us. And may we in turn do the same for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are a guest with us this morning, every single time we gather together as, as God's people, we, we take communion, we take the Lord's Supper. And what a great visual picture this morning, right? As we look at the bread, what are we reminded of? We are reminded of the God of all creation, our creator, the one who created everything for his glory, came to us, to those who have trampled his glory, to those who have loved our own glory more than his own glory. 
And he came to us. Which is amazing in itself because we don't deserve his coming. What we actually deserve, as scripture tells us, as a result of of failing to to become like him, a a failure to treasure his glory of all things, what we deserve is separation from him. We deserve death. We do not deserve life. That is only reserved for the eternal Son of God. But as we look at the bread, it reminds us of the Son of God, the Son of Man who came not to do His own will, but to do the will of His Father. And He came and His body was broken for us. And as we look at the cup, what do we see? We see His blood that was shed to purchase us to wash away all of our sin, to take upon Himself all of our faults, all of our failures, all of our blemishes, all all of our reproaches fell on Him. For you and for me. So that we can be welcomed into the family of God. We can be accepted all through the Son of Man coming not to do His own will, to do the will of the Father. It is only through Christ that we can be welcomed and accepted into the family of God. And so listen, this is what I want us to do this morning. As you think about the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Christ, as you think about the way in which God has accepted you in Christ and welcomed you into His family, I want you to consider and think about, anyone, is there anyone in your life, a brother and sister in Christ, who you may have something against due to maybe your own self-interest? Is there someone that you have hurt because of your own love of self and self-interest and opinions and preferences? you have something against someone? Then what I want you to do, if that's you, I want you to come to the Father and I want you to confess that. And I want you to receive His grace purchased for you. But if, that's per- if that person's here, I encourage you to go. And as the song said, I want to say I'm sorry. I want to sit beside you at the feast, my friend, today. Go to them. And listen, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted God's grace in Christ, His welcome, now's the time. Now's the time. You see, as I mentioned earlier, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And what that means is, is we all have fallen short of reflecting His glory, and we've all fallen short of treasuring His glory above everything else. The truth is, you've treasured yourself and your own glory and your own name above His. And God's not pleased with this. In fact, This doing cost the Son of God his life. And the Son of God came and he took upon himself all the reproaches, all the time that you have treasured your own glory more than him. And if you come to him this morning and you confess the times that you have loved your own glory more than him and you receive the work of Christ, you can be forgiven all of all your reproaches. And you can receive the gift of eternal life. And you will be too be raised from the dead. That's the promise of the Father. To do the will of the Father. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. To all who look to Him, receive eternal life and be raised from the dead. That's the promise that God makes.
That's his word. They're all who believe. Simply believing in the work of Christ as sufficient for your salvation, you can have eternal life and be raised from the dead. Believe. Come to him. Trust him. Trust his promises. And come and receive and embrace the welcome and acceptance of God. Listen, if that's not you, then continue to reflect on that. Continue to, to reflect on Christ and behold who he is. That one day soon that you will come and you will receive that glory. That you will receive that welcome. But if that's, if that's you that describes you, then to stay where you're at and continue to reflect on that. But when you're ready, if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, then come and participate in Lord's Supper. There's two stations up here. There's one in the back. When you're ready, come and celebrate your King and Savior, Jesus Christ.